0: All right, good morning. Good to see you all. Survived the time change. Made it here. Well done. Alright, if you got a Bible, open with me to Matthew chapter 5. That's where we're gonna be today as we continue our study of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus' famous words there. And we're in this section. Of the Sermon on the Mount called the Beatitudes. And so we'll look at one more of those today. Let me do, as you're turning, just a little bit of housekeeping. Uh, if you get our church email, you've already received this, but I wanna, not everybody does, so just wanna make sure I, I made mention of this while we're all gathered here. Just a reminder, kind of our pathway forward, we've had a lot to be encouraged with as you're following uh, infection rates and numbers, I'm sure you are, we are, um, and so there's lots of room for encouragement, and I want to remind you, or maybe tell you for the first time, kind of our pathway over the next couple of months, as we hope to, and pray that God will continue to bring us back towards what we would think of as maybe a little bit more normalcy. So, We wanted to remind you that starting next week, uh, we're increasing our attendance numbers, our registration numbers in each of the services, in all three of the services. And wanted to make sure that you're aware of that. You'll see that as you go to register for the services. Uh, If you're looking for sort of the one with the least number of folks in it, it's the 8 a.m. Probably, no, not a big shocker there. So uh, that's available to you. Two reminders as you do that. Number one, we do need you to register for those services. So please, if you would make an effort to do that, that helps us prepare for you, to host you well. So please do remember to register. And then also just a reminder that face coverings are still required in all of our services. Uh, And regardless of how you feel about that, could I just make the appeal to you? As your leaders, we've made that call, that decision, and we need you to come underneath it. Okay? So please do, if you would, just honor your leadership in that way. Uh, Now, that said... We're going to do that next week, increased numbers of attendance. In April, April 4th, Easter Sunday, we're going to have one big worship service outside at 10 a.m. Face coverings will not be required. If you're comfortable without them, that will be fine. Uh, and we're going to gather and worship and celebrate the resurrection together outside. We hope it won't be too chilly. If it is, he rose from the dead, you can put on a coat, all right? It's fair enough. So we're going to gather and worship that way, April 4th. And then at the end of April, we're going to come back inside after that for a couple weeks. But then at the end of April, our plan is to go outside for uh, sort of spring and summer worship together. And we think that's going to be a blast being together. Uh, We'll get you more details on service times and everything as we go. But when we're outside, face coverings uh, will not be required. We're still going to encourage social distancing. But we're going to have a great time worshiping together. And then we'll continue to navigate the pathway forward from there. So we just wanted to make sure that you're aware of kind of our plan for the next couple couple months. Fair enough? All right, awesome. Matthew chapter five. Let's dive in. So you remember we're in this uh, section of the Sermon on the Mount, as I said, called the Beatitudes, and that word beatitude just literally means, it's the Latin translation for blessed or happy, Uh, and so it it comes from that term, and what it means is this is the kind of person that lives inside of Christ's kingdom and therefore experiences the joy of that, the blessing of that. Uh, It's it's not, I don't want you to be thinking sort of uh, like hashtag blessed, right, which gets Really oddly used on our uh, social, social media these days. But this is the kind of person who, because they're living in light of God's commands and living in light of what his kingdom is and its requirements upon them, finds that they are experiencing the, the greatest joy in life and peace in life and happiness, if you will. Not circumstantially based happiness, but a kind of um, rock solid happiness, if you will, of walking in the ways of God. So, We come to this beatitude today, Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, where we find these words, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, our job today is pretty simple. We want to unpack, what is meekness? What does it look like? Where does it come from? How do we we live in it? So the big idea is simply this, as God's people, we are called to be regularly increasing in meekness. We are called to be regularly increasing in meekness. So how do we do that? How should we think about that? But before we get to the how, can we talk about the why for a minute? Why must we be increasing in meekness? Now, it's fair enough probably just to say, well, Matthew 5.5, 5, Jesus says, blessed are the meek. Which infers that we are to be meek, and so it's a, a sort of a command there that we have that this is something that should mark us. That probably should be enough. It definitely should be enough for us. But can I give you just a little bit more thought on that? If it might help you wrestle with, well, why? Why is meekness a marker of Christ's kingdom and, the, and his people and the citizens of that kingdom? And here, I think, is the answer to that. It's found in Matthew chapter 21, verse 5. So just just a little bit further from where we uh, have been. And I want to show you in Matthew 21, verse 5, the reason why meekness has to mark a follower of Jesus is because Christ's kingdom can only be ushered in by meekness. Christ's kingdom can only be ushered in by meekness. Now, let me show you where I get that. Matthew 21, 5, it's a pretty famous passage. It's called the Triumphal Entry. Jesus, at the beginning of Holy Week, the week of his crucifixion and the resurrection, is entering into Jerusalem. And he knows these are the last days of his life. And when he enters into Jerusalem, he makes a really specific choice as he comes in. And some of you may remember this. Rather than sort of coming in on a giant, glorious kind of war horse as this leader who's going to come and conquer Rome, the Messiah who's going to lead the people to a military victory, Jesus, in fulfillment of a prophecy about the Messiah in Zechariah 9:9, rides into Jerusalem on a what? Does anybody remember? On a donkey. On a humble beast of burden, right? He comes in. And that's no accident. Jesus very intentionally determines to do that because he's making a statement, not just about who he is, but about how the kingdom comes, about how his kingdom will be ushered in. And it won't be through military might, and it won't be through positional power. It will be through the humble sacrifice of the cross. It will be through meekness. Look at what Zechariah 9.9 9 says as it's quoted in Matthew chapter 21, verse 5. Say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you. Humble, that's the same word as the word for meek in Matthew chapter 5.5. Five. It's this word praus, right? Or in the noun form prautes. But what it means is meek. Behold, your king is coming to you, meek or humble, and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Now, the importance of this moment can't be overstated because the people of the day and the religious leaders of the day expected that the Messiah would be a military conqueror, one who would overthrow the evil forces, and make no mistake about it, they were evil, who ruled and reigned over them. People who ensconced in law things that were contrary to the ways of God, that called for the false worship of the emperor, that called for uh, all kinds of idolatry and evil to be uh, brought to bear in the world and within their kingdom and the thought was the Messiah will come and overthrow them and Jesus says yes but not in the way that you think because the kingdom comes not through military might not through positional power but it comes through meekness. This is how I will usher in my kingdom. Now friends can I make an argument here? If Jesus ushered in his kingdom through meekness why would we think that his kingdom would continue to be ushered in through anything other than that? If he brought his kingdom through meekness, humility, gentleness, then shouldn't we expect that it would only go forward in the world in the same way? That's the statement Jesus is making in Matthew 21, verse five. It may seem small for him to ride in on a donkey, but it's not. It's massively important. Now, listen, this isn't to say that God doesn't put believers in positions of power in our world. He certainly does, and we should be glad for it. But the question becomes how will those positions of authority be used? Will they be used with meekness? Because only meekness can usher in the kingdom. Only meekness. Grabs hold of hearts and minds in a way that transforms them and opens them to the possibility of what the gospel is and what it means and to belief in that which transforms a person. And it is the only way to long standing sustainable change at a society wide level is when the gospel takes hold of hearts. And the gospel takes hold of hearts through meekness. That's the argument that Matthew 21, verse five is making about the kind of kingdom that Jesus is ushering. It's the why. It's the why of why meekness is so important. Now listen, we have to grow in meekness because it's how the kingdom comes and also because we should recognize uh, why it's important for us to see the importance of meekness is because if we're honest, we're not that good at it. Would you agree? We're not that good at I mean, often, friends, here's what I would say by, by way of observation. We are pretty good at looking meek until we are attacked and then we lash out just like everybody else. I think we're pretty good at appearing meek until we are attacked, and then we look just about like everybody else. And you want to know the interesting thing? There's only about 20 or so occurrences of this word, meekness, and it's translated different ways, but there's only about 20 occurrences of it or so in the scriptures, and almost every one, almost every one, the context of it is, how are you living under authority, or what are you doing if you have authority? Are you being gentle if you have authority, and are you responding to authority in a way that displays humility and gentleness? So this has everything to do with what do you do under authority and with authority? Meekness is marked and measured by that. In fact, you can't really say, I'm meek or I possess meekness until you come under attack, and then you will find out. That's when you know, and you don't know until then. But friends, make no mistake about it. Remember, and and just hold fast to this. The kingdom cannot be ushered in without meekness. Do you understand? Without it, the kingdom doesn't come. This is how the kingdom comes. It comes through a cross. It comes through blood. It comes through sacrifice. It comes through lowliness. It doesn't come through overreaching power. It comes through humble sacrifice and meekness. Look at what Psalm 37 says. Let me take you there now. Because we need to unpack this a little bit further, this idea. Now, Psalm 37, I'm going to read you verse 5 through verse 11. Verse 11 is actually probably what Jesus is quoting in Matthew 5, 5. When he says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, more than likely he's quoting this psalm. And you'll see when I read it to you. So look, starting in verse 5, Psalm 37 says, Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evildoer shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Now listen, as I said, this is probably the psalm that Jesus is quoting from in Matthew 5.5. 5. And the psalmist is doing a couple things here. He is calling God's people to trust God even when evil seems to be winning. Did you catch that? He says, don't fret, don't be afraid, and don't do a couple of very important things that I don't want you to do when evil is winning the day. I want you to respond with meekness because the meek shall inherit the land, he says. So the the thing he's imploring me to do is trust the Lord. And how do I trust the Lord? I trust the Lord by being meek. And what does meekness look like? A couple of very specific things in this passage, right? Now, we could do a deep dive here, but I'm just going to point you to a couple. So if I'm going to trust the Lord, that means being meek, And if I'm going to be meek, that means a couple things according to this text. Number one, meekness means patience with the Lord's timing for getting rid of evil. Did you see that? Be patient. Wait on the Lord. Be still. What's he saying? He's saying the Lord will be the one to undo all evil. And he will do it. And it may seem like it's taking forever to you, but in the Lord's economy, it will be but for a day. It is short-lived. The authority of evil, no matter how long it may seem to us, do you understand that in light of eternity and the perfect kingdom of righteousness, which Jesus is ushering in, that the rule and reign of evil is like a breath and his reign will be forever. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth forever. Be patient. Wait for the Lord. Be still, he says. And what else does he say? Forsake anger and forsake wrath. The meek do not get angry when the world around them says things they don't like. The meek do not respond with retribution and revenge. The meek Trust the Lord. That's what he's saying. That's what meekness looks like. Now look, we're prone to read this and go, yeah, but you don't know. I mean, you don't know how bad. You don't know how bad the evil is. Friends, can I tell you, he knows exactly how bad the evil is. Far more than you and I. Psalm 37, which is what Jesus is, again, more than likely pointing his people back to. Anyone who would have sat there and heard him and known their Old Testament would have thought, oh, Psalm 37. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the land. What do the meek do? They trust the Lord. They forsake wrath. They forsake vengeance. Now listen, can we just say on numerous fronts, our society is rapidly moving away from a biblical worldview and from anything that we would identify as good and righteous, yes? It's a given, right? We see that, it's not surprising to us. It's not surprising to us, but the question for us is, do we see it as an opportunity to display meekness and thereby build the kingdom? What an opportunity that's in front of us As evil rises and takes hold, as evil uh, brings to bear things that are contrary to the very nature of the way God made us and the way He would cause us to live, what an opportunity to display meekness and see the kingdom come. Can you see the opportunity that's in front of us, church? What a day to live in. What a time to serve the King. What a great opportunity we have. Don't lose sight of it. Don't fret. Wait patiently for the Lord. Forsake wrath. Forsake vengeance. Forsake anger. And wait patiently. Trust him. Let meekness take hold of your hearts. And as you let meekness take hold of your hearts, know that the kingdom will go forward. It's the only way the kingdom goes forward. I can't stress it enough. Without meekness, the kingdom can't go forward. But if you will respond with meekness in the face of evil, the kingdom will go forward. It will. It can't help but go forward. Trust him. Trust him. Trust him. That's the why. Now, can we talk about what is meekness? Because we, you know, I've alluded to it. I've hinted at it. But we need to really understand, what is it? What, what is meekness? Now I know it can, the kingdom it depends upon it. How, how do I know? What is, what is it? So let's look together at that question. First thing that we see. Here's my simplest definition for you. Meekness is humility directed inward and gentleness directed outward. Meekness is humility directed inward and gentleness directed outward. Now there's a couple of ways that we know that. One, the simplest way, is that as you look at all the translations of, of the terms that I just gave you, praus and prautes, the adjective and the noun that are these Greek words that are translated meekness, often they are, all, they are translated actually gentle or humble. Those two words actually become very common translations. So if you just kinda did a survey of all the times this word is used, you're gonna find that quite often it's translated as gentleness or as humility. So it tells us something about the fact that those things are very closely related. Now there are other terms For gentleness, there are other terms for humility, other Greek words. But what is unique about this term is that it sort of brings together the ideas of those other terms into one sort of concoction, if you will, to say, you want to know what meekness is? Meekness is both of these things together. It's humility inwardly, the way I think about myself. In other words, it's I see myself rightly in light of who God is. And I'm humble in my self-estimation. I don't think I'm overly important. I don't think a lot about myself. I don't raise myself up or think too highly about myself. I understand who I am. Not falsely self-deprecating, but I know who I am in light of who God is. That's humility. And then that inward disposition of humility that's created by God's work then outwardly produces gentleness towards others. It produces an ability to not be harsh, but to be tender. Gentleness. Can I just ask, are your actions towards others marked by gentleness? If I asked your coworkers, if I, if I were to go to your place of work tomorrow, or into your home, or if I were to ask your kids, or your classmates, hey, would you describe this person as gentle? What do you think they'd say? I don't want you to ask the people around me, okay? Far too often, we lack gentleness, yeah? But this is what's called for. This is what meekness is. Humility inwardly, gentleness outwardly. The other way we can see that is not just through the translations of these terms, but look at how Jesus so intentionally is building, is building uh, sort of, with great intentionality, the order of the things that he said, the case he's sort of building here in these beatitudes, what did he say first? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, what he's saying is, those who understand that before God they are spiritually bankrupt, that's the essence of humility, isn't it? So he's saying, there's this humility that's produced by your spiritual poverty. So that's number one. And then he says, and Dan did a great job of unpacking this for us last week, Blessed are those who mourn. And we understood that that meant to mourn our sin. The ways that we don't live as citizens of the kingdom. I want my life to align and look like what a citizen of Christ's kingdom should look like. I want to live like I'm by that citizenship. And all too often, I don't in certain ways. And I mourn when I don't. I'm grieved when I don't. That's what Jesus is saying. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. One day, when the kingdom comes in full, we will live in that citizenship perfectly, which is why we grieve that we don't do it now. Yes? Well, that kind of mourning, when I recognize my sin, makes me realize I need people to be gentle with me. And if I need people to be gentle with me, then how should I expect to treat others? With gentleness. So he's building a case here. It's almost as if he's just, almost as if he knows what he's doing. Just set himself up to say, Blessed are the poor in spirit, because you're going to have grown humility if you're, blessed, if you're poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. And now, in case you didn't catch that, let me come to this. Blessed are the meek, who are humble inwardly and gentle outwardly towards others. Now, that's what it is. Can we talk about what it's not for a second? Because we need, there's some false perceptions. I want to make sure we correct uh, here as we think about what meekness is not. So first, it's not a naturally laid back or an unconfident disposition, okay? This is not a person who's just naturally, there are people who are naturally more gentle than others. When the scriptures talk about meekness, they're not talking about a person who's naturally just kind of gentle. Nor are they talking about the kind of person who's just maybe lacks, uh, lacks a lot of capability, maybe they, they have very little capability, and therefore they seem to be meek because they just don't have confidence in, in their capability and ability. That is not what meekness is. First, and maybe above all other things, meekness is a gift or a work of the Holy Spirit. All of these beatitudes, I wanna remind us, every single one is not, Jesus is not saying, Oh, blessed is the person who naturally has a disposition like this. He's saying blessed is the person in whom the work of the Spirit has produced this quality, this character. And those are two very different things. In Galatians chapter five, we see a list of the fruits of the Holy Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, Gentleness, guess what word that is? Pros, meekness. Blessed are the meek. It's a fruit of the Spirit, which means that it's not naturally occurring. So that, that's what I want you to understand. No one is born with meekness. You get meekness when the Spirit comes in and does a work in you. Then the second thing, oh, by the way, uh, if you are a follower of Jesus, does the Spirit take a residence in you? Just to make sure I've taught this before, yeah? Oh, all right, good, fantastic. Just want to make sure. Yeah, Spirit takes up residence in you. So what is your excuse for not being meek? What is my excuse for not being meek? We don't have one. If the Spirit is in us, we're out of excuses for not being meek. The second thing, it's not. The second thing, meekness is not. Meekness is not a lack of conviction regarding the truth or a lack of willingness to stand up for it. Meekness is not a lack of willingness to stand up Now, here's why I need to give this correction. Because for some of us, we've heard this idea of meekness, and what we've thought of it as is sort of a live and let live attitude. It's like, okay, well, if I'm supposed to be meek, I'm supposed to be gentle, then what I'll do is I just, I won't ever sort of say, hey, that's wrong. Because who am I? Who am I to say that's wrong? Friends, you're the person who must say when something is wrong. If God's word declares it, not just because your opinion is such. Because listen, I mean, look, I'm not going to go to James 3. I'm just going to refer to it here, and then I'm going to show you First Peter 3. But James 3, verse 13, and James 3, verse 17, actually says, "says I want you to behave in the meekness of wisdom in James three thirteen, And what he's saying there is that meekness and wisdom are like two sides of the same coin. They go hand in hand. Meekness, you're not wise unless you're meek. Yeah? Because meekness isn't just a work of the mind, it's a work of the heart. And so he's saying, you're, you're not wise unless you're meek. And then at the end of that, he actually says, and the wise person is open to reason. In other words, they're willing to engage with you back and forth. If the wise person is also the meek person, and the meek person then has to be open to reason, then it stands to reason. That meek people are willing to go back and forth, to reason together. Let's just say it more simply. First Peter chapter 3, look at what it says there. We find the word for meekness, again, translated as gentleness this time. But 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. In other words, hey, when the evil has power, when pe- evil people have authority over you and they hurt you, don't worry about it not being dismissive. He's just saying, if you suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to what? Make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness, with meekness and respect. So, Do you see what I'm saying? I'm saying to you that Meekness does not mean not being convicted of what's true and not standing up for what's true. It just means doing it with gentleness. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 23 essentially says the same thing. He says, Correct your opponents, correct them. He's talking about people outside the faith, not, not opponents in the church. He's saying, Correct your opponents. But the expectation is that it, while you're correcting them, you're doing it gently with meekness. So that's a, that's a key understanding. And I don't want to leave you in any way with the impression that somehow meekness means being wishy-washy. That meekness means being sort of a, just a wet, a wet rag. You know, that just kind of whatever. It doesn't matter. That's not what meekness is. All right? In fact, meekness in, assumes strength. It's strength brought under control. It's strength brought forward in a gentle way. All right, now, what does meekness look like in action? Let's ask that question. And you'll notice if you picked up the sermon notes there, there's there's a list of bullet points. I'm not gonna have time to do all those. I knew I wouldn't have time, so I listed them for you, all right? All I wanna do, all I wanna do is just paint a picture for you, if I can, of what meekness looks like when it's lived out. I wanna show you Jesus, probably a good idea, And I wanna show you uh, Moses. Two demonstrations in the scriptures of meekness. And then the other things, I'm just gonna read them to you because I I just, there's so many great texts on meekness and what does it look like in James 1. It it looks like teachableness, right? I mean, all these things that you wanna do the bonus work afterwards, you know, or with your life group, you can look at those things together. So let's look at these two stories in the scripture. The first one, I guess, technically is not a story. If you wanna see the story of meekness in Jesus' life, Obviously, look, look at the cross. What, must it, what kind of meekness is on display when you are the creator of all things and the, the, those you have created take your life and while they hang you on a cross in great agony, your words to the Father is not smite them. It's not bring revenge against them. What is it? Forgive them. Father, forgive them even as you're purchasing the ability for them to be forgiven, forgive them, right? But I wanna show you a different scene in Jesus' life, something he said, Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. A really wonderful picture here of meekness. We'll have these on the screen as well, but you can flip there in your Bible if you'd like. Matthew 11, verse 28, pretty famous words of Jesus, He says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle, and there's that word again now. That's that word, praus, for I am meek and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now I want you to follow that what Jesus is saying here, if I could sort of sum it up, is he's saying, meekness means being willing to sacrifice for someone else so that they have what they need. Because here's what Jesus has just said there. Let's just follow it word for word. When he says to them, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. He's saying, All of you who recognize that you need something in your life, come and be my follower. Come and follow me. Because when he says, I will give you rest, that's a promise. Come, come to me and I will give you rest. And then he says, take my yoke upon you. Well, what's a yoke? You know, a yoke gets put on oxen who are plowing the field. So in other words, what he's saying is, come and serve me. Come and be the, those who serve me to plow the field that I want plowed, the work that I want done. Come and do that. And he said, when you come and do the work that I have called you to do, you're gonna experience rest. Well, Why? How can we be called to come and work for him, and yet that's going to experience, we're going to experience a a type of rest in that if we come and we do that? Well, it's because of what comes next. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. So, there's something about his meekness, his gentleness, that produces rest. Huh, what kind of rest becomes key? Because look at what comes next. I am humble, I am gentle, and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Not just rest, like come and don't work. You will find a kind of soul rest when you come to me. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. What's he saying? He's saying, what is the very nature of serving me? What is it? It's to believe in what I have done for you. In other words, when you serve him, here's what that looks like. His yoke is easy and his burden is light because he's already purchased your righteousness for you. Every other yoke that would have been taken on from every other teacher or religious system was essentially this. You do the work well enough and you will be loved by me. You do the work well enough and you will be accepted by me. And what Jesus is saying and why he can say it is come to me if you labor and are heavy laden And I will give you rest. What kind of rest? Soul rest. Why? Because I know your greatest need and I've already made provision for it. I've already done it. I will go to the cross. I will do the work. I will sacrifice myself so that you get the rest and I bear the burden. You take on his yoke, but he bears the burden of it. That's why his yoke is easy and his burden is light because it's a yoke of grace. The yoke of grace. It's not come and earn my love. Come and earn my affection. Stay in it by making sure that you do all the right things and check all the boxes. No, I give it to you freely as a gift. It's mine to give. I've paid the price to be able to give it, and now I give it to you. And the reason he can say, follower of Jesus, that his yoke is easy and his burden is light, is because he went to the cross to purchase grace for you. And then he gave it to you freely. You didn't earn it. You weren't good enough to get it, and you can't be bad enough to lose it. It's given to you freely. That's what he's saying. Now, if my meekness is supposed to look like Jesus's meekness, the whole question is, well, what is meekness? How do I, you know, how do I live it out? What does it look like? Well, it looks like that. It looks like Jesus saying, come to me, all who are weary and heavily. So can I ask a question? Question for me, and it's a question for you. When people engage with us, do they get a sense that, that they are in the presence of someone giving them grace? When they make a mistake, do we meet them with grace? Are we gentle towards them when they make a mistake? Or are we harsh? Are we quick to point out flaws? Or are we quick to say, i give you grace? Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Do people, this is the question I ask myself. Do people, by virtue of having spent time with me, perhaps being taught by me, do they experience the possibility that their souls could be at rest? And does it feel like more burden is heaped on? Or does it feel like there's a real, true, rest that meets the deepest need of my soul that I'm encountering when I encounter that person? Do we point them to that? That's the, that's the first picture I want you to see. The second is in Numbers chapter 12, and it's Moses. In Numbers chapter 12. Now this, I think, is a fascinating story. Going all the way forward here. Numbers chapter 12. I'm going to read you the first 11 verses. So listen to this story. Miriam and Aaron, who are, helped lead with Moses, they spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. So they didn't like something about his choice there. And they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. And suddenly the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron and to Miriam, Come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. And the three came out. And the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forward. Now I want you to picture yourself as if you were there and you're, you're, you're Miriam or you're Aaron and you thought to yourself, that Moses is really getting it wrong and the Lord calls you out and what are you thinking in this moment? You're thinking, all right, the Lord's gonna put us in charge now maybe, right? That's not what's gonna happen. But they're thinking, we're right, he's wrong, he's been leading poorly. Moses has said nothing. And God says, come come here, I have something to tell you. Verse six, and the Lord said, hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I the Lord make myself known to him in a vision, I speak with him in a dream, not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house, with him I speak mouth to mouth, clearly and not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. When the cloud removed from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous like snow. And Aaron turned toward Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. And Aaron said to Moses, O my Lord, do not punish us, because we have done foolishly and have sinned. Moses prays for them, and the leprosy is removed. Now, here's the interesting thing. Here's what I want you to get. The scriptures make a point to point out there that Moses is meek. It says, more meek than any person who would live. That's a pretty, would you like to be described that way? It's a pretty good descriptor, right? What do you notice that Moses didn't do in this moment? When he's criticized and critiqued for his leadership, when he's attacked for something he's done that the people he's leading didn't like, does Moses discipline them or strike out at them? No, what does he do? He trusts the Lord to defend him. The meek trust the Lord to defend them. Can I tell you why? Because unlike Moses, who is clearly set apart within God's economy of redemptive history, you and I are not Moses, okay? But where God calls us to lead, we don't know that we're always right. And when people criticize us for the way that we lead or the choices that we make, we, we let God defend us and not ourselves because God will determine whether we were right or whether they were right. He's the one. So we let him defend and we don't defend ourselves. And again, that doesn't mean not speaking up for the truth. We're gonna see in 2 Corinthians 10 and in 1 Corinthians 4, Paul pretty adamantly stands up to the Corinthians and says, here's where you're wrong about the truth. I'm going to oppose you. He does so with gentleness. We're told again, we find the word there again, gentleness, meekness. I want to come to you in gentleness, he says to the Corinthians, not in boldness and in in, uh, great challenge. I, I want to come in meekness. But he doesn't defend himself. He defends the truth. He doesn't defend himself. He defends the truth. And Moses here gives us a great example of meekness. We have to be meek because we don't, we don't always know whether we've been right when we're leading. And when we're criticized, can I tell you the indicator that you are right with the Lord is that you respond to criticism with meekness. That's the indicator. That's how you know. If you can respond with gentleness to the criticism of your authority, that's a good sign. If you respond with harshness, that's a bad sign. Have we all encountered leaders who respond to being criticized with harshness? They're not hard to find. You know what is hard to find? Leaders who respond with meekness. Unfortunately, they're few and far between. Only God knows. He doesn't always tell. Those who are meek respond to criticism, gentleness. That's Moses. Now, I told you there's a list there. Meekness means being teachable. We see that in James. It means highly valuing unity with other believers. It means being as gentle as possible when correcting wrong beliefs in other believers. And it means having nothing to do with foolish controversies. Really look at that second Timothy chapter two text there. I love that. It's not talking about controversies of theology within the church. It's talking about worldly controversies outside the church. And Paul is saying to Timothy, have nothing to do, he says, with foolish and ignorant controversies which do nothing but stir up strife. Have nothing to do with them, he says. But correct your opponents. How? Gently. So from where does meekness come? I'm just gonna give you three and I'm just gonna list them, okay? Where does meekness come from? We know we have to have it, we heard our why. We know what it is, hopefully now as we've examined the scriptures to see what it looks like and even see what it looks like in, on display in the scriptures, so now, how do, we, how do we gain it? Well, three things. Number one, remember Psalm 37, trust the Lord. You grow in meekness as you trust the Lord. That's the whole message of that Psalm, those verses I read to you. Trust him, wait patiently for him, okay? That's number one, as you you trust him, you will grow in meekness. Number two, just go to our Matthew 5, 5 text. Blessed are the meek, for they shall what? Inherit the earth. You grow in meekness by knowing that no matter how long it may seem that evil is ruling and reigning in the here and now, it will be but a blip on the radar And you will, if you are in Christ Jesus, inherit the earth, which means you will participate in ruling and reigning and governing over the entire created order for all eternity. You will share in the authority of Christ, in his power, and in his rule. That's what we see in Revelation chapter 20. It's what we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're told we'll judge angels, that believers will do that. The idea is, if you know that that's going to come to pass, and it is assured then you can live now with patience and meekness while you wait for it to come to pass. Yes, does that make sense? Let's so listen to this hymn on my way in this morning. I love this old hymn. Do y'all know the hymn, This Is My Father's World? You remember, the, I, I go back to this again and again because I need to be reminded. This is my father's world, oh let me never forget that though the wrong seems often so strong, God is the ruler yet. This is my father's world. The battle is not done. Jesus who died will be satisfied and earth and heaven will be won. What a good reminder. Now listen, the last way, and I love this, Isaiah 29, verse 19, lest we just think, okay, we've gotta be so always future-oriented and I've gotta remember I'm gonna inherit the earth and therefore meekness now because I know that one day I'll, I'll rule. There's also a promise for today. And it's this. In Isaiah 29 verse 19 says, The meek shall obtain fresh joy in the Lord. Don't you love that? The meek shall obtain fresh joy in the Lord. Would you like fresh joy? Anybody want stale joy? No, you want fresh joy. Daily renewed joy. Something that's given to you new each day. And According to this, according to Isaiah, if you want fresh joy, meekness will bring that to you. If you walk in meekness, there's a promise there for you. Be meek, be gentle, be humble inwardly, gentle outwardly, and there will be joy abounding in your life. That's a good motive, not just for meekness today because of what will transpire in all eternity, but of meekness today because there's, a, there's a something to be received even today, a fresh joy to be given today. So friends, trust the Lord, remember that you will inherit the earth, those who are meek, and then walk in fresh joy and receive it through meekness. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would, Holy Spirit, be our teacher now. We need more than just to have heard this in this moment. We need it to take hold of our hearts take hold of our minds and lead us forward uh, in new ways, in righteous ways. I, I pray, Lord, that you would bear the fruit of the spirit in us that is meekness. Forgive us where it is lacking, but come and produce it in us, your willing servants. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and worship to close our time.